A new year with new controversies at the State House and in Washington, where a new book has the White House and Steve Bannon in a war of words. We'll have the latest from D.C. and from the state capitol, where lawmakers are tackling big issues like medical marijuana and Sunday alcohol sales, along with the controversy over funding for the Department of Child Services. Today, we talk with House Speaker Brian Bosma and new House Minority Leader Terry Gooden, plus IMPD's strategy to fight crime in the new year. It's all ahead this Sunday in Focus. Exploring the issues that matter most in Indiana. This is In Focus with Dan Spieler. Good morning, I'm Dan Spieler. This is the book causing so much controversy at the White House, pitting the president against his former chief strategist, Steve Bannon. The book, called Fire and Fury, was compiled using more than 200 interviews with people who are on the inside. And what a stir it's causing. Bannon was quoted in the book saying a 2016 meeting between a Russian lawyer and Trump campaign officials was, quote, treasonous. Trump slammed Bannon in a statement, writing that Bannon, quote, lost his mind after getting fired. So what will it mean for Bannon's place in politics here in 2018? Well, here's one indication after what happened in Alabama. Republicans now hold just a 51-49 edge in the Senate. The Alabama Senator Doug Jones sworn into office this past week, along with new Minnesota Senator Tina Smith, who's replacing Al Franken in the midst of several sexual harassment allegations. Both new senators sworn in last week by Vice President Mike Pence. Indiana's current governor will be center stage this coming week. Governor Eric Holcomb delivers his second State of the State address Tuesday night with a lot of big issues facing state lawmakers in the new year. Lawmakers returned to work this past week, and already there's a lot of discussion about issues like medical marijuana, Sunday alcohol sales, funding for the Department of Child Services, and more. Matt Smith has the latest from the State House. Hi, Dan. Yeah, good morning. Well, off to the races, as they say, right? Week one of this session officially done. This a short session, as we've talked about, just 10 weeks to accomplish a lot of lofty goals. Lawmakers spent the first couple of days talking about a lot of those goals as we move into more serious committee hearings this upcoming week. They were greeted on the first day of the session by this group, a group looking to push and legalize medical marijuana across the state. Representative Jim Lucas among those in attendance. He has introduced legislation to do that, just that. And a potential some movement that we saw in the past couple of days from some Republican leadership, House Speaker Brian Bosma, telling us now he is at least willing to study the issue. Is this medical marijuana bill going to go anywhere? I don't see how it can. Uh, we saw the, you know, the response of the people up there. Um, this thing, it pulls off the charts. I don't go by polls, but, you, you know, you have to... Uh, look at those and get somewhat of a pulse of the people. And when you see, uh, once people educate themselves and see all the benefits and realize that, that the stigma that's been attached to this uh, you know, product for decades just isn't there, and the fear-mongering you know, that uh, opposition groups are trying to raise it just isn't there. Um, 29 other states have it. You know, uh, things are going great there, but uh, the quality of life that this can potentially bring to people, is, is we, we shouldn't ignore it. Also, as we've talked about a lot on this show, Big momentum, potentially a clear path to legalize Sunday alcohol sales in Indiana. Bills have been introduced. Votes cast now in the coming weeks. This was an issue that there was virtual unanim unanimity on that we should do away with our outdated Sunday sales law. So it's my hope 
that we can pass that. Other developments this past week, a growing course, especially on the first day, coming from Republicans and Democrats to seriously look into the Department of Child Services. There is that ongoing external review from an outside organization that the governor has ordered House Speaker Brian Bosma saying he really wants to make sure those results and recommendations are public and then lawmakers can at least legislatively begin to address those issues. The attention now this week turns to Tuesday. Governor Holcomb's State of the State address. He has outlined his priorities. He will again reiterate them to lawmakers as they convene for the annual address. Dan. Okay, Matt, thanks. And you can join us right here Tuesday night for live coverage of the State of the State address. It starts at 7 p.m. and we'll have a recap next Sunday here on In Focus. This week I also spoke with New House Minority Leader Terry Gooden. What are your hopes for this session as you start out as House Minority Leader? I know you listed a long list of things you'd like to do this year, but the reality is it's a short session, Republican supermajorities. What are you realistically hoping you know, to accomplish? I think really what we're trying to do is we're bringing all the information we talked about to light to give people of Indiana an idea of what's going on in the state of Indiana. Number one, we talked about redistricting. We all know that we're working under a flawed system and the election system in Indiana needs to be fixed. Let's, br let's bring that point out. Let's let people know that and realize that. that you know, when we talk about Jeremy, Everybody knows what that is from your ninth grade civics class, but what we need to do is we need to dig into the weeds just a little bit more and let people understand what that gerrymandering actually looks like in the state of Indiana. And we hope to be able to bring that out. Bring what that about out. DCS? What do you hope to see in terms of an investigation you know, there? The ultimate goal for DCS is to make sure that we create a system that's helping children and not hurting them. And I think, as I said earlier, uh, what the system that we're under now, as uh, Judge Bonaventura pointed out, it cannot stand. It's, it's got to be changed. I know I, I applaud the governor for stepping up and appointing a commission. I just want to make sure that the legislature, as an equal branch of government, has an opportunity to know what's going on to make sure we, we have a little bit of a guidance on that uh, system as it gets put into place as well. What about medical marijuana? Is that something you're open to? You know, that's something that we'll talk about is the marijuana side of that. I know there's a uh, huge stigma with marijuana. Of course, it's, it's been classified for over, what, four decades now has been an entry uh, drug into, into things that are more uh, potent to, to hurts an individual. So I think that's the discussion we're going to have. And uh, uh, just from the start, uh, just the term marijuana rings everyone's bells. I hope it does anyway. So we're going to have a good debate, and I think uh, we're going to see some things come out. All right, meantime, on that issue of Sunday alcohol sales, we've now learned there will be a committee hearing this coming week on Senate Bill 1, which would allow for Sunday sales. The Senate Public Policy Committee will hold a hearing on Wednesday. The following week, they'll hold a hearing on the issue of cold beer sales at grocery and convenience stores. Up next, our panel talks about the latest news from Washington, and we'll discuss the fate of a bill that would give fans a refund if the Colts take a knee during the national anthem. We'll tell you what Speaker Bosma said about that proposal this week, and we'll sit down one-on-one -on -one with IMPD Chief Brian Roach, talking about his plans to fight crime in the new year. Straight ahead. Joining us today, Indy Star columnist and opinions editor Tim Swearens, two former state lawmakers, Democrat Christina Hale, Republican Mike Murphy, and UND professor Dr. Laura Wilson. We're going to talk about the start of the legislative session, but first, the White House and what you might call the tale of two realities here. They're touting the economy. The Dow broke another record last week, but this picture of dysfunction and division painted by this new book certainly dominating the headlines. It is, and, and it's, it paints a, a further picture of the chaos that we've come to expect in the Trump White House 
over the last year. And the fact that Steve Bannon is, is a force behind this book, a very early Trump supporter and, and now a, a apparent enemy, uh, is, is, lends itself even more to this picture of chaos. And some of the details uh, in this book, which we'll show you here again, this feud with a former top advisor like Steve Bannon, this is all pretty unprecedented. It is, and I, I mean, I think back to when I was a kid learning about Watergate, which happened a little bit before my time, but you'd say, like, I can't believe this happened in American government. And just seeing what's unfolding right now, as Tim mentions, the chaos, the infighting, the administration has had successes, but this is certainly undermining them. You've got new details on the Russia probe this week. There are also reports the, the feds may be looking into the Clinton Foundation again. This is such a volatile time in American politics. It's, as Laura said, it's a time we haven't seen since, uh, you know, the early 70s, uh, late 60s, early 70s, where all young people were taught not to trust anybody over the age of 30 was the kind of the standard mantra back then. Um, you, had, you had corruption, you had, you know, sex scandals, the, the, the lady in the, uh, the, the pool by the Jefferson Memorial, all that, Wilbur Mills and all that. So we had all that back then. It's just repeating itself. The problem here is that you have the president's own top aides are leaking things about him. They're leaking their concerns that he's not mentally stable enough to handle the presidency. That's much worse than any tit-for-tat, I hate you, you hate me, I slept with you, you slept with me kind of stuff. We have also heard a lot of questions in the White House press briefing this week about the president's uh, mental fitness. Fair question or unfair question? I'll throw that out to you guys here. Well, I think when his own team is discussing his mental fitness, but also his intellectual fitness, that's certainly cause for concern. But drama, drama, drama is the hallmark of this administration. So I think we can only expect more divisiveness, more uh, passion, and, and just uh, a whole lot of problems. None of us are pros in the, in the psychological field sure. of any means, but there was an right. article last week from some very prominent psychiatrists that said, if you judge American presidents, fully half of them could be, have, have been judged with some form of mental illness, whether it was depression or something else. And so um, I'm not here to tell you what the standard should be for, for mental health for the presidency, but as, as Christina said, the president's own aides talking about his decision-making process and his lack of interest in serious policy, that's scary. And that's a complicated question. It's one we haven't talked about on this show yet, but it's, it's one that's coming up in the news this it, week. It is, and I think we saw this past week with the tweets about the, his nuclear button uh, being larger than North Korea's <laughs> dictator's nuclear button. I mean, it, it comes to a question of judgment. Uh, we're, I mean, when we start talking about, on social media, about the use of nuclear weapons. That's not what we want to commander And there's a tweet there, uh, specifically the president saying North Korean leader Kim Jong-un just stated nuclear button is on his desk at all times. Uh, it's a, his, Trump saying his button was much bigger and more powerful and my button works. Well, here's the, here's the even larger problem, is that sometimes as a country begins to move towards war, and it happens in almost all wars, there is almost an inevitability, like a, a, a momentum that cannot be stopped. Today, the FDA, um, or this, this couple of days ago, the FDA and the CDC, both major federal agencies, announced they're going to hold briefings so the public knows how to protect themselves in the case of a nuclear war. That's this scary, we haven't right? seen That's since the early yeah. 1960s. I think we need to talk about the content of the tweets, but also that the president is tweeting. The fact that this president, president now is accessing social media on his own, it's unfiltered. Some would argue that's a good thing, but we can also see the repercussions for foreign policy, for relationships between nation states, for just the impression of what's happening in terms of domestic policy. It's 
new, it's different, and no president has ever signaled such things before. Well, not on social media. Yeah, and then let's also talk about how the administration responds to all of this stuff. Laura, let's talk about the yeah. vice president. We showed you the president's tweet. This is what the vice president uh, tweeted when asked about North Korea this week. He said, Trump made it clear America won't be threatened. The United States of America has managed to marshal an unprecedented amount of economic and diplomatic pressure on North Korea, defending the president. Former Vice President Joe Biden had a much different take on Trump's tweet. The only war that's worse than one that's intended is one that's unintended. This is not a game. This is not about, as, uh, you know, can I puff my chest out bigger than your chest? And Biden joined Pence and fellow former VP Walter Mondale on the Senate floor this week. So what about the vice president's reaction, though, his defense of, of the president's tweet? Tough situation. It, it is. And he's been put in this situation many times. I think to his credit, he usually does a good job, but it, it's defensive. Um, and he has to come in there and kind of backtrack in some ways. And to everybody's points, it's incredibly concerning when we're having these conversations on social media about national security and, and our threats. How should Mike Pence handle Well, contrast like the, the vice president's tweet, the tone of his tweet with the president's tweet. I mean, it was much more conventional. It was much more was more mature. Uh, it's the type of uh, communication we would expect from the highest levels of our government. Look at what the president tweeted, and it didn't, didn't meet any of those standards. The difference is that Mike Pence's tweet was measured. It was rational. It was an adult tweet, if you want to call it that. <laughs> Whereas the president's tweets are, are meant to incite. Um, they are tweets from which you cannot retreat. And it, when you're dealing with international diplomacy, particularly potential enemies with nuclear weapons, the last thing you want to do is put them in a yeah. corner they can't get out of. And the bigger issue here is judgment. And again, it goes back to the use of social media right. to discuss very, very serious issues. And you have to wonder who is pulling Vice President Pence aside to say, hey, you need to be thinking about your plan B and what could happen. All right, let's move to our next topic here. President Trump disbanding his voter fraud commission that Vice President Pence had chaired and Connie Lawson, our Secretary of State, was a member of. A White House statement blaming that decision on numerous states refusing to provide voter info to the commission, including Indiana, even though, as we mentioned, Secretary of State Connie Lawson was a member of that commission. And now, Mike, it's been disbanded. Well, Connie Lawson is a very stable performer. She's a class act. She's done a great, she did a great job as a state senator and as a member of leadership. She's done a great job as Secretary of State. And she continues in that vein. So she stood up to Trump and said, I can't do that. It's against law to do that. And uh, eventually her views won out. All right. As we uh, detailed earlier, the legislative session got underway this past week at the State House. Lawmakers dealing with a number of topics. The House Democrats' new leader gave his first address in that role, using the occasion to talk about this controversy at the Department of Child Services. After the former director resigned, Democrats say they want an investigation. Leader Gooden sending a letter to Governor Holcomb last week calling for legislative action. Republicans say they're waiting on the results of an ongoing outside study and probably won't take any legislative action this year. Christina, you were a member of the legislature recently. What, what do you think should happen here? I think there's nothing more important than protecting children from violence. If there's any whiff that things are not happening, that children are being exposed to danger, then we better get on that ASAP. And politics aside, politics, uh, 
just really have no place in this conversation. This is about protecting children. Looks like it could be one of the big issues. I have to here. say, I, I disagree with Christina. I agree with the governor. I agree with Speaker Bosma. There's two ways to, there's two levels at which you have to react to something like that. One is to look into it as quickly as possible, but you can't reform an entire system in eight weeks. It's, it's actually irresponsible to try to do that. Not reform an entire system, but certainly take action to ensure that look however many, one child is too many. And I think that's happening. Mm -hmm. We're seeing an, an enormous influx of children into the system, largely, we think, tied to the opioid crisis. Uh, it's put a strain on the system. There's just no question about it. The, the state is has allocated significantly more money to deal with the problem. The problem is, are we keeping up with the surge in the number of cases? And this it should not be political. People should not be yeah. defensive about it. It's unfortunate that it erupted the way it did because it did kind of pit people on different sides. Other topics, we mentioned Sunday sales, a hearing coming next week. Anybody surprised quickly that uh, Speaker Bosma said he'd be open to a study on medical marijuana? No, I'm not surprised at all. Um, it's a study yeah, committee. I, I, yeah. It's, it's a study not, yeah. committee. First of all, study committees, in my mind, mean nothing right. because um, I don't know any legislator who ever voted for anything because the study committee recommended it. Okay. It's a way to give people who aren't going to get what they want this session some kind of consolation prize that it's going to Real be studied quick, during the we've got to mention one bill, too, that will not be moving forward in any fashion, the bill that would have given fans refunds if the Colts kneeled during the national anthem on Thursday. Speaker Bosma was asked about that bill. He said there were constitutional and private business issues with the bill. He said, quote, I suspect it will be assigned to a committee. And that'll be the last we see of it. Hey, we also have to mention uh, this story coming up this week. Of course, we've got the state of the state. We've also got a big vote in uh, council, city county council on Monday. The man challenging the council president for her leadership role now facing renewed accusations. We're talking about Reverend Stephen Clay, who's challenging current council president Maggie Lewis. That vote comes tomorrow night. Last week, allegations resurfaced that Clay had inappropriately touched a teenager back in the early 2000s. Clay spoke with reporters on Tuesday. I am concerned but not surprised at the resurrection of these baseless allegations, both vicious and unfounded. But I will take particular note that these allegations are on the heels of my attempts to run for president of the city county council. Clay says he faced these same accusations when he first ran for council a few years ago. He says he went to party leaders at the time to assure them that the accusations were, in his words, baseless. IMPD investigated at the time but did not find enough evidence to support charges. Up next, we're talking about IMPD's strategy to fight crime in 2018 and avoid another record-breaking year of violence. Stick around. After a record-breaking year for homicides in Indianapolis, IMPD Chief Brian Roach is talking about the city's plan to stop violent crime in the new year. And this week, Chief Roach sat down with our Russ McQuaid. This is a site we've seen well over 130 times in the last year as 154 people, sometimes in twos and threes, fell victim to murder. Mayor Joe Hogsett told us that holding Indianapolis's growing murder total to just a 2 or 3% increase is an indication that new strategies are working. IMPD Chief Brian Roach is tasked with implementing crime-fighting plans 
that have literally been years in the making. There's uh, definitely a, a portion of our population that believes that uh, uh, guns are the answer to problems that they have. 136 Indianapolis murder victims died last year by gunshots. Soon ATF and task force gun investigators will be assigned to every IMPD district and assistant U.S. attorneys will start taking more gun cases to federal court. Crime analysts will target the most well-known offenders responsible for a disproportionate amount of violence in the city. The first part of the year, we'll start collecting a list, and we've got that information already, a list of uh, those who have been participatory in multiple non-fatal shootings or homicides. More officers will begin patrolling smaller beats to take ownership of public safety in their assigned communities, and more hiring will boost IMPD's manpower level above 1,700, the highest it's been in nearly 10 years. Roach hopes as his officers get to know the people of their city better, the neighbors will have more faith in their police. The better our relationship with the community, the more trust they have in their officers. Uh, that hopefully we can develop through that personnel development uh, uh, goal. People will be more willing, hopefully, to talk to us, to give us information. We've got to make it safe for them to do that. All right, Russ McQuaid reporting there. I'm here with Tim. Uh, obviously, it's going to be a big issue again in the year moving forward and moving toward 2019, which is an election year. You can bet public safety again will be a big issue for the mayor. It, it always is. And it's interesting to me that the mayor is now talking about that, that they held the increase in homicides to 2 to 3 percent. That's not what he was saying when he ran for mayor two years ago. It wasn't, you know, holding the line. It was about solving and reducing this problem. And I know it's an issue you've written about at IndyStar.com. We'll be right back after this with this week's Winners and Losers. All right, time now for this week's Winners and Losers. Tim, I'll start with you. Another record week on Wall Street. Despite all the chaos that we see in, in the Capitol and in the White House, the American economy is going strong, and, and that, that benefits. We're all winners with that. Christina. Two winners, Colts fans. The pain is over the for over. this season. <laughs> yeah, no enjoy. Um, and then Representative Cindy Zimke, who is valiantly trying to consolidate townships and realize efficiencies in government. You know, she's a bit of a Don Quixote, but I admire her taking Reaching this. across yeah, the aisle absolutely. for your winner this week. Two winners this week, uh, Democrat State Rep Linda Lawson, Republican State Rep Bill Friend, both classy, classy public servants for 20 or 30 years, both announced their retirement. My loser has to be Donald Trump. It is classic self-destructive behavior, the nuclear button thing, the tweeting. Um, it, it completely overshadows anything good that's happening. Laura. My winner, David Yancey, so going out to Virginia, his name was drawn out of a hat to win. <laughs> You're the winner. Yeah, and so that's good for the Republicans in Virginia. My loser, I'm going to go with Mike and say the Trump administration, this was not a great week for them. And Republicans didn't just win that seat with that no, drawing. That was control the whole, of the whole House of Delegates. It was an important one. Democracy's control. weird like that. Sometimes the winner comes out of a hat, right? All right, thanks for joining us. We'll see you again next Sunday in Focus.